Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. I appreciate your downloading and sharing and listening and comments. And so I am back uh, this week to finish up the sermon series that we are doing here at Urban Village called Called In, Called Out. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second. But before I do that, let me read the passage passages that we will be reflecting on today. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Revelation throughout this sermon series, and so it's appropriate for us to complete this by looking at the end of Revelation. First, I'm going to read from Revelation 21, 1 through 7, and then I'm going to jump over to Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Here are these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And now from chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there any more, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So I read a really, really, I read a really interesting article uh, this past week in the Atlantic magazine about... Uh, the Mona Lisa is written by Walter Isaacson, who has written many biographies, and he is coming out with one about uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And I want to read an excerpt from the article just about the brilliance, genius of da Vinci and what he did in order to paint the Mona Lisa. I had no idea. So here's the excerpt from the article. Da Vinci's greatest triumph of combining art, science, optics, and illusion was the smile of the Mona Lisa, which he started working on in 1503 and continued laboring over nearly until his death 16 years later. He dissected human faces, delineating the muscles that move the lips, and combined the knowledge with the science of how the retina processes perceptions. The result was a masterpiece that invites and responds to human interactions, making Leonardo a pioneer of virtual reality. 
I found this fascinating. I think if you're like me, you probably imagine that I had, well, I had no idea how much time it would have taken Leonardo to paint this, but I imagine that he's sitting there at an easel. There's a woman with, as the model there, and he's going through and choosing the different colors that he wants and looking at her. And uh, I don't know how long it would take, a couple months perhaps. But instead, I had no idea of what Leonardo did. He was literally dissecting carcasses in order to get a sense of what muscles were being used in order to make a smile because he wanted to make sure that he got it just right. And I found that fascinating. And to see some of the other sketches that he made of the human anatomy in order to make sure that he knew all the things that went into what makes a person smile so that he could capture it, so that it would last centuries. I have no idea if he thought it would last this long. It would be such the masterpiece and classic that it is today. But what a process to not just see the beauty, but also to try to figure out what can be done behind that beauty in order for that beauty to really come out and live forever. Reading this article was a reminder to me that beauty, to borrow the phrase, isn't necessarily skin deep. That is, there's a lot that happens before we see the final product. And that's true whether it's a painting or a souffle or a rocking chair, whatever it is that someone has made, there's a lot more to it perhaps than we realize. So I just read from Revelation 21 and 22. And these again are visions that were seen and written down by a man named John throughout the whole of Revelation. It's his vision, as the R.E.M. song goes, the end of the world as we know it. So this is a reminder, too, that this is apocalyptic literature. Now, apocalypse means unveiling or disclosure. Apocalyptic literature has certain characteristics. And one of those, or two of those, are first of all that the universe, often in apocalyptic literature, that the universe is divided into two camps, good and evil. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why the Star Wars movies are so popular. There are clear, there is clear good and evil here. And also, apocalyptic literature usually contains predictions about the final outcome of human affairs. What's going to happen in the end? It focuses on the last age of the world, when good will triumph and evil will be judged. So all of this, and there's a lot in between, of course, is apocalyptic literature. This is John's vision of good and evil, John's vision of what will happen at the end, and that's what we read in our passages today. And what we read today is really a lovely vision to look at when you reflect on it and and read it and internalize it. In chapter 21, we read that God will dwell with all of us, with mortals, with humankind. We read that there will be no more mourning, that there will be no more crying, that there will be no more pain. This is what a vision, especially in the days that we live in today when it seems like all we take in are stories about pain and crying and injustice and insensitivity. And then chapter 22 gives us some more vivid images Here in this passage, in this chapter, there's a river of the water of life, bright as crystal. And I think this is particularly poignant when you realize that the context that this is being written in, too, is water was a commodity that people desperately desired. 
but here in this vision, there is more than enough. Also in chapter 22, there's a tree of life. Now, perhaps this also may strike a chord for those of us who know the story from the beginning of Genesis, where there is a tree in Eden, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they're told that you are not to eat of that tree. But here, there's a tree of life where people can take from as much as they desire. There's 12 kinds of fruit, so there is no winter. There is no barrenness. There is always some kind of fruit, individual, unique kind of fruit. I want to point that out, too, when we think about when this time will come in this vision that there is sameness, that everyone will look and be alike. No, there is diversity. There is different kinds of, of fruit, unique kinds of, of, of food and being and materials. Even the leaves on this tree are used for healing. This is the beautiful final product. It's a wonderful way to end the Bible, the great mic drop of this text. Whenever I've done funerals in the book of worship that I have, one of the suggested readings is from Revelation 21 to give comfort for those who are mourning so that they know that there is a time perhaps when all of this will come about. So the temptation is to linger at Revelation 21 and 22, to crack open that last book of the Bible and say, let's just stay here. It's easy to forget that there's also a Revelation chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and all the way through to chapter 20. We didn't worship at the South Loop site where I'm usually at on October 1st, but I did uh, preach about this. And so you may remember from this recording, on that day, on October 1st, we read from Revelation 2, chapter 2, and Revelation chapter 3. And in those two chapters are messages that John, again, the author of Revelation, that John writes to seven churches in Asia Minor, or today that we call Turkey. In these messages that John gives to each of these churches, there's some encouragement for churches, but there's also some pretty pointed challenges. There's constructive criticism, really, for almost all of them. So, Let me run through real quick some of the examples of what I mean by this. So again, in Revelation 2 and 3, he's writing these messages to these churches. So to the church in the city called Ephesus, John says, I have this against you. And then in the church in Smyrna, he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. To the church in Pergamum, he says, I have a few things against you. To the church in Thyatira, again, like in Ephesus, I have this against you. In the church in Sardis, he says, you have a name of being alive, but you are dead. And then in Laodicea, he says this, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> so so again, there's some encouraging words when you go back and read through two and three, but there's also, he, he puts it out there. He does not hold back at all about what he wants these churches to reflect on. So these are the bookends of Revelation. There are challenges at the beginning, and then there is this vision at the end of what can and will be. So as I noted at the very beginning of this podcast, this is the final sermon in this sermon series called Called In, Called Out. And this is where we are looking at the issues throughout this series. We've been looking at issues of race and racism, and particularly we're looking at our own church. I hope, for those who have been listening to the podcast or know anything about our faith community, you've heard us talk about this audit that we've been going through. 
Uh, there's a nonprofit organization here in the Chicago area called Crossroads, and they work with organizations like churches, and they do an audit to reflect on what does it mean for a church to be anti-racist? What does it mean for churches to not just say we love diversity, but to really look at its structures, its programs, its systems to see if there are any uh, blatant or perhaps hidden um, systems in place that cause others to be marginalized. And that's what we really wanted to uh, unveil, to use this word apocalypse again, to unveil who are we really and are we doing all we can to make sure that we are combating racism. So we've been going through all of this and actually after worship uh, on Sunday at all of our sites, we'll be reflecting and sharing the results of this audit. So often when organizations and churches talk about race, it's very tempting to point to what folks sometimes call as kumbaya moments. You can just go on to the internet and type in diversity and you'll find some really lovely images about diversity, like these smiling people from all races. This is kind of like the Mona Lisa. This is what people love to look at. It's beautiful. It's Revelation 21 and 22. This is the image that we want to reflect on. This is nice. Let's just stay here with this. And we don't like to spend a whole lot of time, though, with Revelation 2 and 3. We don't like to hear the words that say, I have this against you, or I have a few things against you, or you have a name of being alive, but you're really dead, or I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. None of us wants to believe that we are a part of an organization or a church that is like this. But... If you're really serious about this and really reflect on it, the audit will say, we have a few things against you, and we need to read these things and see these things and internalize these things. Both bookends of Revelation are needed. These instructions on how to continue the work and the vision of what will be when heaven and earth come together, when there is no mourning or crying. I don't know how that day will come about. But I do know that Revelation 2 and 3 are here. They are instructions for churches to do the work. And that's our call, too. When we talk about this audit and unpack it, there will be a lot there. But we also don't want to take this audit and just put it on the shelf. This is, for us, a blueprint, a guide for on us for how to live into this and how to be a beloved community, how to see glimpses, perhaps, of this vision of the day when heaven and earth will come together, when God will permanently dwell with us. There's a lot there. But it is our call to live into it. But we also need the visions of what can be. I got a little glimpse of this at our own church uh, three or four weeks ago. So every other month at Urban Village, we have what we call open table, which is someone hosts a dinner and it's sometimes kind of a potluck and sometimes people will, the host will make a, a main course. And uh, a few weeks ago, the Sharp family hosted it for us. The Sharps live in the Kenwood neighborhood of Chicago. For those who don't know, that's on the south side of Chicago, just north of Hyde Park. And it's new construction. And so at It's a little bit difficult to get to. And so, in fact, uh, Evan had sent, Evan Sharp sent some directions to those who were attending. And 
I don't remember ever getting so specific instructions about how to get to their house. And so, so for example, he said, when you get to our address, you will see construction. And when you get to construction site facing east, you'll see a driveway on the right. Walk down that driveway past the two buildings under construction to the second to last building. And we are the middle unit with red brick. Now, all of this is pretty specific instructions. But when it's dark, which is when the dinner was, it was really hard to figure out, A, where to park. And Evan also sent us in the message saying, warning, there's a parking lot across the street from us where there's a subway, Walgreens. And he says, please park there at your own risk. So the instructions to get to where we wanted to go were a little daunting. But when we did, it was a beautiful evening. People from all walks of life were there. I've got a couple pictures I've put up on the Podbean page. I sat down at a table, and it was myself and four other African-American women, and we were talking about TV shows and like Insecure and Chewing Gum and another Showtime program that I had never seen before, but that they all liked. And I looked around at the room at the diversity of people who were there from all walks of life, from different uh, ethnic backgrounds, different parts of the city, all doing different things. We're all represented there. And at one moment... In the evening, I just reflected and saw this, and I thought, oh, this is so good. I am getting a glimpse, a glimpse of heaven here tonight. But what happens sometimes is we only live in that ideal. We only live in that moment, and we assume that all is right with the world because we had this night. We're good. We don't need to do any more work because we had this wonderful evening. And yet when I reflect on it further... As I think about who the people were there that night, I know as a white, straight, educated male, I don't know what it's like to be a Filipino woman. I don't know what it's like to be a woman of Korean descent who grew up in Guam. I don't know what it's like to be a gay man who grew up in Indiana. I don't know what it's like to be a couple who live in the suburbs now. I don't know what it's like to be a biracial man with children raising young children in the city. I don't know what it's like to be an African-American single woman. As I thought about all the different individuals there that night, I realized I don't know what they experience. Because of who I am, the temptation is to see the world through my own lenses and to see the beauty where I see the beauty And then when I do that, and when I fall and become complacent, I don't see the world as others see it. I don't even try to see that. And that's where the work has to begin, to have those conversations, to listen closely to the prejudice that people experience, the harassment that others go through, to listen to that and realize as beautiful as that evening was, as great as it is to read Revelation 2, 21 and 22, The temptation is to forget that there's also a lot of work to be done and to go to God in prayer and hear God speaking God's love for me, but also to hear the Spirit saying, but I have a few things against you. The times that you don't listen, the times that you just assume that your worldview is the worldview for everybody. And that's when I become hopefully a little bit more humble. And that's where I'm called to repentance. Repentance. 
and say, Lord, change my heart for myself and for this church too. The audit that we'll be exploring on Sunday is a starting point. We've done some very good things in the history of our church. We also have a lot of work ahead of us. And we don't want to simply just talk about these things, put this audit on a shelf and just pat ourselves on the back for going through it. Instead, it's a guide for us to begin to be the kind of church that we believe God wants us to be. In Revelation 21, we hear the voice saying, I am making all things new. That is our mission. It's the ongoing working, making all things new until the day when heaven and earth are joined and all tears are wiped away and the sounds of crying are no more. This is the vision. Will we work to make sure that it can come about? May it be so. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening again. If you want to hear more of me, you can go to my website, christiancooney.com. You can hear my other podcast, my Feeling Boldly podcast, and read uh, my blog and subscribe to the e-news that I, or the e-newsletter I send out with that blog in there, too. Um, you can always reach out to me. On Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. On uh, or email, I'm chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. And so I'm always happy to reflect uh, and engage with you in those ways. I will be back next week with a new sermon series. So until then, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.